Well, hello and welcome to the first edition of FAA Safety Briefing Live for January 2021. I'm Paul Prydecker, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Susan Parson. Hi, Susan. Hi, Paul. Thanks for making a trip back to Wisconsin again. Yeah, of course, I'll come back when it's snowing. <laughs> of course. But it is January in Wisconsin. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, we hope everybody's doing well, and uh, the New Year's off to a good start. So. As, as we were looking through the introductory slides and the covers were playing playing through, I thought, well, we've done a lot of these and, it, <laughs> and many of those issues brought back a lot of memories about putting putting this together and and now we're into a new year for another another series of these. Indeed. So we hope we can uh, continue to um, support the effort to bring good content to all of you and that you enjoy these. So let's let's move on, and as we often do, we talk about the importance of um, getting wings or AMT credit as as part of these programs, and how do they do that, Susan? Well, the the page here will take you to there are links that'll take you, as we like to say, VFR direct to the place that you can go. Um, essentially, by taking this, uh, watching this webinar, and taking a short and I promise easy quiz at the end, um, you can get wings credit for the course. And all of us are handling the present situations differently, some able to fly, some not able to fly. But I think everybody has taken advantage of the time to uh, jump in and do some extra reading, some studying, more videos, more webinars. And it's a great way to to get wings credit and to, um, you know, maintain some level of proficiency. So keep your head in the game. We encourage you to do that. So. We've often talked about the mission of FAA Safety Briefing, uh, but this is um, a magazine that's um, 60 years, and we're not talking about your birthday. No, no we're not. Of course Thank not. <laughs> but the 60-year anniversary of this edition, oh, yeah. which is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, it's it's been around for a long time. We put together this kind of retrospective of covers. Um, we, we've been around in, under several different names um, and several different designs. The most recent one debuted about a year ago. But uh, what, what has never been different is that we are the safety policy voice for non-commercial general aviation. And those are our goals, as you see there, to raise awareness of FAA resources, which are available to everybody for free. Um, to explain safety and regulatory issues, because as the safety and regulatory agency, we, we have a unique voice in that regard. But most of all, and I always say this, this is nearer to your heart and mine, um, encouraging continued training, because a good pilot is always learning training. You never can know enough. Well, and it never, it never stops. And there are so many mechanisms and vehicles to get good training. And we're, again, excited to bring this to you as well, because this is a great issue coming up. Uh, it's got an interesting theme and topic. I mean, challenge and response is something that we think about in terms of old checklist management, but you had something else in mind. Yeah, well, checklist management is certainly part of it. And we have a piece in here that we'll, we'll get to that, uh, that, that kind of ties those together. But when we were thinking about what to do, you know, starting out in 2021 after 2020 was such a, a challenging and unprecedented and whatever words you can say about it year, um, we were talking about, we were thinking about the challenges that aviation has faced both as an industry, but also the challenges that individual pilots have faced and how do we respond to those, especially the challenges that come with not just legal currency and recency, but with proficiency. 
And so you'll see from the feature titles there that, that those are some of the topics that we're attempting to address in this issue. And before we move on, I think um, I'll mention that um, my 2021 has started out with a challenge. I know, as, I heard. As um, uh, many of you may know that I had a um, uh, pleasant flying job with a medical transport company and a Learjet. But as many pilots have experienced, um, I got notice of being furloughed just last week um, for a variety of reasons, of course, but it, it's all related to everything that we're dealing with. And so uh, for 2021, I'm, I've got the challenge and I'll come up with a response, of course. Um, as a friend of mine once told me that it, you can see more clearly out the windshield than you can in the rearview mirror. So I'll just look ahead and I'll look ahead. Well, and, see, I my plan is that uh, we're going to win the lottery tonight oh, or, like, or sometime <laughs> this week, whenever it is, and that uh, then we'll buy an airplane and do whatever we want. Perfect. Okay. I like that plan. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know how that works out. Yeah. So. All right. So the, the um, initial article here from Rick Domingo, FA Standards Manager, is um, about about this yeah. and New Year, new beginnings and. One thing that is clear is that the FAA has had to face some challenges and mm -hmm. has developed some responses. I mean, certainly in terms of uh, regulatory impact and how to manage the currency and proficiency of certificates, ratings, recurrent training, and there's been others as well. Yeah, this one and the reason the uh, the blackboard uh, illustration is here: New Year, clean slate, let's start all over. Unfortunately, we can't wipe away everything that has that happened in 2020 and consider it good. So, yeah, we've the challenge and response is something that the agency has certainly had to deal with in trying to, um, you know, to to make sure that there is appropriate regulatory relief for both air carriers and for general aviation pilots. And so there has been relief from uh, certain requirements, but as, as this piece stresses, it's up to you to step up to the challenges of regaining and retaining proficiency because that's not something that relief can do for you. And it's, it's one of the things that the agency has been using risk-based decision-making and lots of information and contact with the community to try to scope out what, is, what, what are the right parameters. Um, but the other thing that he mentions in here is that uh, even though we are looking forward, looking through the windshield, as you put it, um, because this is our 60th anniversary of the magazine, that we are um, looking back a little bit at some of the, the directions that we've taken and, um, and celebrating the fact that here we are with a, a new year and uh, continuing voice and information to offer. Well, and the, the aviation community and not certainly not just pilots, but mechanics and dispatchers and everybody involved in aviation has had to to find their own way through this. And as I said, some have been able to maintain their currency and proficiency because they've been able to maintain uh, their flying skills. Others, not so much. I know it's certainly been a challenge for flight instructors. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we certainly have um, hope that this will get better as time goes on but it doesn't relieve us from going through the steps necessary to maintain some mental currency. Uh, as you just said earlier about keeping your head in the game, I mean, that's an important part of this so that when the flying opportunities do occur, we're 
better prepared. For it. You, you, there's a point in here about um, this magazine had a change of name some time ago. Yeah, well, um, when I first came on uh, to the FAA and started working on the magazine, because as I like to say, I'm bilingual in airplane and English, um, I, w we were the FAA Aviation News, and we really, I, I don't know, I think the, the team got increasingly uncomfortable with that name because coming out once every couple of months, news was not really the thing. Mm -hmm. And we decided safety briefing because safety briefings are definitely a big part of aviation. And we changed it to FA safety briefing. And that's what we've been ever since. Well, and it's, I mean, it's your primary mission to exactly. communicate that through um, a variety of forms and, and vehicles. So it's a good change. And this year we'll, we'll just continue on with that mission. Um, the next, um, article is a nice topic. It says, I've got the flight controls or do you? And what this is really about mm -hmm. is how to get back into the game and measure not only currency, but proficiency. And of course, those are, those are two different things. So, well, yeah, Tom Hoffman, this is our overview of the issue. The, the I, I've got the flight controls, or do you, you know, or obviously that's the positive exchange of controls, but it's also making sure that you know that you actually do have the, the figurative flight controls to be ready to go. And that includes some of the things that are talked about here, the mental fitness. And we, that, that cannot be underestimated in this year. Everybody has been under stress, anxiety, depression, all sorts of Absolutely. Uh, of reasons um and it's it's been kind of hard to escape that and then there's the physical fitness there are jokes about the pandemic pounds and um <laughs> yes. the fact that maybe f the exercise and and uh, food intake have not been quite as healthy <laughs> as they should have been in the times that we've been stuck inside and then obviously there's currency and proficiency and then there is the airplane itself and airplanes that have been sitting for a while um, get into trouble. And you, you have a little story about that that you were telling me about from the airplane you just brought out of storage. So yesterday I had a chance to ferry um, uh, an aircraft from, a, from um, the airline I worked for. And, um, you could even it, stand up in it. I could. It was, <laughs> it was a big, big switch from the Lear. Um, but it had been in storage for nine months. And that that requires some a lot of due diligence for pre-flight and making sure all the tests that are appropriate are um, dealt with now certainly not just looking at the physical condition of the aircraft but but how everything is functioning um it's it's not it's not healthy for planes to stay in storage and and you know when you bring them out it takes extra care and attention so well, I, the, what got my attention was your little story about finding spider webs in the landing gear. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of spider webs in the landing gear. A lot of spider yes. webs in the landing gear. Yeah. You, it, so so if, you, if a GA airplane has been parked, hangered, or outside otherwise uh, for a long time without moving, it's very likely that it might have acquired a few occupants sure. as well. So. Sure. Um, lots to keep lots to keep in mind. We've talked a little bit about you know currency assessment and and you know the relief that the FAA has has uh, brought on with some of the regulations. And um, just to bring people up to speed, we refer to SFAR one eighteen. What what does that mean, and it's, how would people look that up? It's special federal aviation regulation, and the number of it is one hundred eighteen. 
And you can go to the FAA's webpage. There is a, a link that'll take you to regulatory information. But um, another way you can get to it is just Google SFAR 118 and you'll come to, it'll take you to the current version. Um, there's, there's always discussion ongoing with stakeholders, both in the air carrier community and then the GA community about um, what might need to come next and for how long. And, but, but the most appropriate thing is how do you scope that to make sure that you're providing necessary and appropriate relief without, um, without causing uh, increased risk to safety mm -hmm. and proficiency. So it's, it's a very delicate balance and a lot of thought and consultation goes into it. Well, and the, artic or the um, article gives some good ideas about um, getting back in the system. Um, a, a flight review is a good way to do it, going with an instructor, taking a safety pilot if you still are within that level of currency. So there are many ways to just break the ice, so to speak, and get back into it. But also for the plane, it's important to make sure that your plane is current. There are just as we were discussing, yeah, in, exactly. In, in, certainly there are right. inspections that have to be met and uh, certain things that are done on a time basis. And when I think about just how, when, you, when you're out of flying for a bit and you, you get back in, I've often heard people say, well, yeah, it's just like riding a bicycle. No. Well, mechanically maybe, but from the mental process, no, no, yes, right. it's, I often hear people say, oh, I feel a little bit behind or I'm a little bit rusty. And comment I was thinking about for, for instrument pilots, especially if it's been months or longer that you've actually gone and done instrument flying in the clouds in IMC, and now you're trying to come up with a plan to get back in to that system. What I used to tell my my recently graduated instrument students was that there's no better way to, to get proficient than to be in IMC and be in the clouds. Um, but you have to be careful and you have to approach your entry into that with some deliberation. And what I used to tell people is when you're first starting out, plan a flight where you'll depart VFR and land VFR mm -hmm. and to get some IMC in the in-route portion. And then as time goes on and you get a little bit more comfortable, you can take and establish some personal minimums to say, well, maybe I'll depart VFR, I'm sorry, depart IFR, maybe get some in-route experience, but I want to land in a VFR, VFR. condition. And then eventually put all of that together and have some personal minimums that might be a little high to start with. Absolutely. And then work your way down because although, as we said, the mechanics are, we know what to do. It's it's the ability and the familiarity to do it with with skill that, you know, takes a little bit of it's practice. It's still easy to get behind the airplane. I mean, there's, there's a reason that we have flight reviews and recurrent training. And that same principle applies to just getting back in the system. So speaking of rust. Speaking of rust, rust yes, yes, on recovering <laughs> from rustiness. Um, yeah, I wrote this one. Um, realistic, resolute, I was playing with words again, uh, resilient resolutions because, you know, we do make New Year's resolutions and mm -hmm. we usually let them go. Um, but as we get into a new calendar year and thinking about um, ways that you can get back into the game and get your head back into the game, this piece is goes a little bit more, uh, the, the first one is more the overview, the broad picture of physical, mental, currency, mm -hmm. and everything else. This, this starts thinking about how do you start bringing your skills back? And in addition to some of the things that you were talking about, the flight review, you could also think about getting a new certificate, a new rating, 
a new endorsement. Um, this might be a time if you wanted to get into um, a different category in class, you could do that. You can do a new wings phase. And obviously this course or this webinar will help you um, with wings if, if you want to, to do that. Well, and we've often talked about, since you reside in Arizona, we've often talked about adding a glider, a, a glider, yeah, a right. glider rating. There's always something to learn, whether it's uh, you know a glider rating or seaplane, or as you said, the the number of endorsements that you can get is extensive. I mean, we'd be talking about um, a tailwind endorsement or spins or many others. Um, also, might be a time to think about joining a type club. Uh, we've talked about type clubs where um, many of the manufacturers and owner groups will have a type club that you can become a part of. And it, it helps bring about you know, discussion. And um, many of those clubs have seminars and informational series that exactly. will, again, help keep, keep, things, keep things fresh. And um, it, I'm always surprised that sometimes I'll, back behind us here, I have you know, some of my aviation books. And I'll occasionally right. just look in um, a private pilot textbook. And, I'll, I'll just glance and read through it. And I'm always surprised that things that I will pick up that um, perhaps I knew, I, I hope I knew at one time, <laughs> right. maybe not. Um, but it's um, it's always fun just to, you know, check another box to say, right. oh, here's something that I, I knew once before and now it's refreshed me in my memory. Uh, the same with picking up a, um, your pilot's operating handbook and just and reading oh, through yeah, it. Oh, absolutely. That'd be that's another way that, that you can do this. Uh, the other thing about this piece, I, I couldn't resist um, bringing out. There, there's a sidebar in here that is partly repeated on the right hand side of the slide, although there's more detail in the sidebar. Um, the certificates, ratings, and endorsements. People tend <laughs> to use those terms somewhat interchangeably, and of course, the certificate versus license. Some people really care about that. I, I don't, but but ratings and endorsements are different from certificates slash licenses. And uh, so if you've ever thought, you know, which is which and what should I be saying, there's a little bit of a, of a here are the ABCs of certificates, ratings, and endorsements in the sidebar. I, I can tell you that there are some of your FAA colleagues that care a great deal about it. Our, I'm one of them, actually. <laughs> our, our POI at the airline, um, would go into orbit if you pulled out right. your license. Right, it's a certificate. <laughs> it's a certificate. And we, I, I was party to witnessing many lectures from him I'm on, sure you were. on what, this, what this document is and that we should all be proud of it and call it by what it is, so. There you go. The other um, uh, thing to talk about a little bit too is just um, when, when you're, either a renter or if you have your own airplane about how to get back into the airplane. And sometimes it's just a matter of sitting in it and mm -hmm. refamiliarizing yourself with the controls, the switches, certainly the avionics. Um, well, and then the and databases. Um, and, and in fact, that yes. was one of the things that Tom's article, the one we just talked about mentioned that uh, you might want to do some chair flying. You might also want, mm -hmm. you absolutely want to make sure that databases, not just in your handheld gadgets, but if you have databases in the airplane, you got to make sure that those are all up to date too. Sure. But I like the idea of um, when I, if it had been a while since I had flown at the airline, 
and I was scheduled to maybe go for a flight to maybe it had been 60 days or something. I always used to tell my first officer that I was going to go out to the airplane early so I can kind of get, get in the mood <laughs> and just sit there, oh, look, look at it, right. Refamiliarize myself. Right. And, and then it just, it, when you don't have to rush into something like that, it's always a bit easier too. Well, that's probably a segue into this next piece, which you're sort of familiar with, given that your name's on it. There's that part of how you make it look easy. You well, I try. I try. I get it. I get in the airplane mood sometimes. Okay. Um, I'll have to keep that in mind. Am this, I in the airplane mood? This is the. This is an article making it look easy, and the where where it all started was I. I just have a little story in there about the fact that I grew up in a um, small town in Texas, north of Dallas. And if my parents ever wanted to surprise me and treat me to a special day, we'd all get in the car and drive 75 mile, miles down to Dallas Love Field. My family used to do that to Greensboro. So, and I was always so excited to get on Absol the observation deck. Absolutely. It was great. And for any of you who are familiar with Dallas Love Field, at the very north end of the field is a small park called Bachman Park. And the approach light system is actually in that park, elevated. So the airplanes can fly right overhead. And, you know, these were the days of, you know, the pastel-colored brand of 727s oh, yeah. and a myriad right. of other airplanes. And my dad would always make comments about the skill of pilots. And as, as time went on and I got into other careers, you know, I flew as a passenger and was always noticing the precision and regularity with which things happen in the, in the airline world. And I thought, gee, they make it look easy. And then as I got into the training department of an airline, I thought, well, the reason it looks easy uh, is because we have procedures mm -hmm. and it's not that easy until you get the procedures mastered. So I've written and spoke several times on adopting standard operating procedures into the general aviation environment. Uh, whether you're a single pilot or you fly in a crew environment, you can bring over standard operating procedures for yourself to fly the airplane the way you want to fly it, but you fly it the same way every time, all the time, without exception. And the benefit of having standard operation procedures is it just makes you more reliable. And if something um, unexpected is happening, it may be a small mechanical problem or perhaps some weather that's not forecast, by having a set of procedures, you then have more mental bandwidth to deal with mm -hmm. the unexpected. And the, the simple plan or, or the simple procedure to follow is you need a plan. Um, and an excellent place to, you know, start is, you know, the PAVE model, pilot, aircraft, environment, um, external pressures, um, briefing. Um, and I've often said this, that briefings are there to create a, a shared mental model. Of, I like that. I've used that. Yeah. Of how, right. how a flight's going to be conducted. But even if you're single pilot, mm -hmm. you can brief out loud. Um, you can rehearse mentally. All you're trying to do is to get ahead of the aircraft and do things what appear to be automatically. And then, of course, checklists. We've already talked about this. Use checklists and, and um, profiles. And checklists, I think, depend on your situation. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later. We certainly will. Yeah. But the profiles, I've written and talked about this a little bit too. Profiles are basically a graphical representation of certain actions along a timeline. For example, when when's a good time to, to select gear up or when should we retract the flaps or when's a good time to accelerate. And on the other end of the spectrum, you're coming into the terminal area. If you have a set place and a set time of when you 
will slow down when you'll apply approach flaps, when the gear may come down, or when you'll start your descent. If all of this becomes a habit, mm -hmm. then that just becomes part of your standard operating procedure. So I encourage everyone to sort of work on profiles. And again, they're easy to do. You just create a timeline with key phases of flight. You can, you know, you can even create them by takeoff, you know, climb, cruise, descent, approach, and landing, and just make some call outs mm -hmm. and some notations about how you want to, how you're going to do it and when you're going to do it. And then SOBs <laughs> need a, a, a time to review. Um, and again, this review part is really about as the flight is progressing, it's, it's up to you to not only be the pilot flying, but in a single pilot situation, you are the pilot monitoring. So you well, you got to be asking yourself, how's it going? Am I where I'm supposed to be? How am I doing in terms of checkpoints, fuel management, uh, the instruments in place? Am mm -hmm. I on heading, on speed, on altitude? Um, I, I read a long time ago that the way you think is to ask yourself questions. And when you're flying, there are a lot of questions you can ask yourself Absolutely. in this review phase. And I, I think I, I introduced in this article um, TLAR, which yes. TLAR, which is that looks about right. right. So when you're doing a quick analysis on time, speed, and distance, you, sh you should have a rough idea. It doesn't need to be the precise tenth of a mile, but you know if something is right. And then it's corollary, Tara, that ain't right, adjust. Yeah, those both sound like Klingon words or something. They might be. Or Vulcan. Let's well, say they're Vulcan words. They're all four-letter acronyms. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's air, air aviation. And then uh, the last part is to renew. And... Renew is really what we're talking about here is do we have some plan for continuous improvement? And at the end of every flight, I ask myself, what could I have done better? How will I apply that going forward? Um, and also built into a standard operating procedures, not just about how you're going to manage this flight, but just how do you manage your studying and your training? All of that can be baked into an SOP. Yeah, I, I like the SOP. The other, the other, um, I, I love the idea of briefings as a shared mental model. I've used that. And the other thing is that that the SOPs themselves are are kind of your personal philosophy for operating the airplane, mm -hmm. and they can be very personal, um, just like um, the timelines and the profiles that that it's according to your airplane and what That's right. what procedures work best. So this is also a good, if, if you're making uh, profiles, it gives you a good opportunity to take a look again at the POH and at performance limitations and at the checklist to see right. what the recommendations are for final approach speeds and um, climb speeds and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So it's, it's, <laughs> the whole thing is a really good exercise. And the other element about briefing is for those of you who fly in a crew environment, I, I make a point about saying this, that no crew member should ever be surprised by the actions of a other crew member. Including if you're me, myself, and I. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So, so another way to practice, and this is a, a, I really had fun with this article because I've been thinking about this myself, about some sort of a desktop type simulator, but it's um, about the matrix. And um, James Williams does a great job of doing a, yeah, a review. Yeah, he there. has he has a lot of fun with these pieces. He did the uh, the superpowers in the last issue, and it, it was a very creative um, take on it. Yeah, this one gets into the fact that if well, we all know we we've been meeting virtually, 
and that uh, in uh, airlines and big airplanes, you do a lot of virtual training, Absolutely. which uh, in the first time you actually fly the real airplane, you might have paying customers. Absolutely. That. And uh, we can't quite do all of those things with our personal desktop simulation, but part of keeping your head in the game, and if you have some of the things like a throttle and um, a panel, mm -hmm. you could also keep some of your muscle memory in the game is by doing virtual <laughs> flying. So what James does in this piece is talk about some of the requirements for systems and the fact that, you know, what used to be just completely, you had to, you had to make a fortune in order sure. to get something reasonable. And these days you don't. Well, and the, the few things that kind of stood out for me is that when he talks about system requirements mm -hmm. are the minimum hardware requirements. And most um, companies, when they're looking at computers and for software, they have recommended requirements. Yes. The minimum requirements. Really is minimum. And it, <laughs> right. it's just like minimum standards for a, a checking event. Mm -hmm. Minimum is not the goal. We're the goal always, is better we're always that, trying yeah. to do better than that. But he gives a nice review of um, the uh, graphics processing units. Those the simple terms used to be, or we used to just call them video cards. Uh, makes a no note about how much RAM you have. Uh, 16 is good, but 32 is a lot better. And of course, this depends a lot on what you're doing with it and you know what the software package is. Um, he, he presents a nice comparison between the newly issued Flight Simulator 2020 from Microsoft and the other program, which has uh, a good share of the market, which of course is X-Plane. Both are good, both have their, their pros and cons. Um, and I would encourage people who are looking into doing this to talk to friends who are doing it and learn from some of their experiences. Uh, if you need an internet connection, that will certainly mean something to you as well. Well, and there's some that, uh, because <laughs> you do have an internet connection and we, we know that, that there are ATC games, but there, there are ways that you can dial in and do- And talk to a real controller. Talk to real controllers yes, and, and, get, and talk mm -hmm. with other pilots. Um, there's also, he gets into the virtual reality and gear, lots of gear, that's not the landing gear. That yes. is where you're talking about having the, the panel and the controls and the throttle and the rudder pedals and all the, there's there's probably not too much limit on what kinds of things are out there to get. Um, the other thing that I, I learned a lot from this piece, when he talks about hard drives, he introduced me mm -hmm. to some terms I wasn't necessarily familiar with, but these are, I, I love the way that these are defined because that way when you're picking up the box or yes. <laughs> looking online, you can say, okay, now I know what this is. Well, I, I wasn't aware, but J James pointed out that you can even have a system that's sophisticated enough that if you say flaps down, right. the flaps come down. So it's almost like having a, a crew member there with you. Yeah. So, so it, it's gotten me a little bit excited about what I might think about here in the future. So you might spend money and put it in the basement. Yeah, perhaps so. Yeah, perhaps so. But the other part too is pay attention to whether you're going to want to log time under the FAA allowable rules to log time or not. Because if you choose the path and you say, well, I want to log under 6157, mm -hmm. that the system meets those requirements. Yeah, you do. Um, but I, one of the points I always make about these things is that whether or not you log the time, if you're practicing properly and with your head in it, you really, it, whether you log you're it or not, you're still getting the benefit. When I was doing instrument training, 
I had a very primitive version of back then of Microsoft Flight Simulator, and I bought some add-ons for the local airports. I mean, that mm -hmm. was, and every night, um, because I could only fly on weekends, but during the week, every night I would come back and I would, I would come home and fire up my computer and I would strap on the kneeboard and I would fly approaches and holding patterns and so on. And what was really fun was going back to the airport the next week and my instructor would say, wait, how did you, how, I, he, he, he thought maybe I'd been mm -hmm. flying during the week with somebody else. Like, no, I've been just practicing. Yep. So it does make a difference. Yeah, I agree. I early on tried Microsoft Flight Simulator as well and I crashed all the time. Oh, it your guide, it, guys do that. Yeah, it didn't give me a lot of hope for the future, but, <laughs> so, <laughs> but it worked, worked out. out so. It's worked out. And I had no idea that I missed National Checklist Day. Well, there's no card for it. <laughs> Hallmark no. hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah. No, I, I was, um, well, I wanted to, I, I knew I was going to write checklist this time because challenging response. I, I was going to write it about checklist. And I can't even remember how I came across it, but it turns out National Checklist Day, there is such a thing. Who knew? And it all started with the B-17, the B-17, which I um, near and dear to your heart, near and dear to my heart because of my dad's experience in the Second World War. But it was that airplane. Uh, they they had an embarrassing and and sad event because here they were introducing the airplane. They had important people watching. They had important people on board, including I think their test pilot. And they took off and it was beautiful and they started to climb and didn't climb very much and then rolled and crashed. And it turned out that the gust locks were still in. And so this was the recognition by people that, wait a second, you know, complexity of these things has outstripped the capacity of humans to remember. And so they started using checklists and checklists were kind of native to aviation, but they have... Um, gone into all kinds of other industries, well, including they, medicine. Including, actually. absolutely. I'm familiar with some of the applications to the medical profession, but, and, and checklists have certainly morphed in features and qualities and usability. Um, I think the early checklists were quite wordy and quite long, but a many human factors people oh, yes, have, absolutely. have got involved with checklist design, even from the standpoint of the typeface to use on a checklist, yep. the type style to use, the white space around it. Um, so there's no end to the evolution of checklists, but you do a nice job of reviewing the various types of them. And they have they can change and apply based on whatever your situation is. Well, and everybody has favorites, uh, but I, my my view, and I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the bottom line, which is there on the screen, which is best. Well, it doesn't matter. Each one has its limitations, its strengths. The only wrong answer is to not use a checklist at all. But the ones that, that I review, they're challenging response, and that works really well in a crew environment where... Certainly. Um, and then the, the next two are kind of review and do, which is what um, pilots learn to do, you know, use the checklist. Mm -hmm. um, and this one is one I tend to use more when the airplane is sitting there, I'm not moving. This is a good time to, I can go through and make sure that I'm covering everything. And then do and review, some argue that a checklist means that you do it first and then you review to make sure you caught everything. And then the flow was uh, sort of a version of that, you know, that you flow, you, you use the flow <clears throat> pattern and then you go back and check on the paper to make sure you got everything. And, and that's 
that does a, a Kamala application in, yeah. in, a, in a crew environment as well. Um, we we taught flows sure. um, where the accomplishing crew member would perform the flow, call for the checklist, and then the pilot monitor then would read it so that you could confirm it. Because just like everything, it doesn't matter how many times you've done a flow and you think you've caught everything, if there is a distraction or anything, you might miss something. Oh yeah. So the, as, as much as I like flows and I think they fit well into single pilot operation, backing it up with a checklist is a, is a good way. And you know, the manufacturer's checklist is a good place to start, but you can certainly modify it for how you, how you fly. Well, in my cupboard, um, I can show you sometime. I have made my own checklist for every airplane that I've ever flown. And part of that is because there are certain things that I know that I always want to do and I don't necessarily remember. But the other, the other thing about making the checklist, there's nothing that makes you dive into learning the airplane and the POH, then you make a checklist. And sometimes with some of the earlier ones where the checklist was not exactly as logical, it might, I, well, let's put it this way. One of the things I always did with my personal checklist, I tried to make them a flow mm -hmm. unless there was a reason that you do sure. one thing before the other. So sure. the thing is, uh, again, all of them have their strengths and their limitations, but use a checklist. And I think next for next October I'll, I'll, 30th. I'll, I'll be I'm, looking for those cards in the Hallmark stand. Well, so. <laughs> even if you're not, I think I might make one. And so I'll start sending out national checklist day cards. It's great. Our, our next um, article is on drone drone debrief. And prior to, to going through this um, material, I um, saw an article I think you had written maybe a month or so ago. 1.7 million registered drones. That's a lot. That's no, a lot. No wonder it is right. taking up FAA time and bandwidth. And, monitoring this and, and coming up with regulations and safety advice. That's uh, six times, I think I read, the number of something like that aircraft it's a lot. that are registered. So this, this article is really, again, many of the things that are part of the drone debrief apply to powered aircraft that we fly in, as well in terms of you, you buy a drone, now what? and there's a process. Well, and this author goes through some of the processes for um, for learning a new drone. And, and to me, I, I love the fact that this is self-reinforcing. We always talk about how remote pilots are pilots. This is uh, drones are aircraft. This is part of the system. And it's self-reinforcing because some of the same things that are being um, suggested here for how to get acquainted with your new drone are some of the same things that you should be doing when you're getting acquainted with a new airplane or even when you just haven't flown for a while. Read the manual, for example. Um, read the manual, go out and it, you know, do some gentle testing of this or that before you actually start to go out pay and do attention a complicated to the weather. flight. Pay, pay, um, pay attention to obstructions. Well, pay attention to airspace and I'll mm -hmm. put in a plug here for again, the before you fly out to mm -hmm that you can use to find out if there are any airspace restrictions and where you want to fly your drone. And of course, um, NOTAMs and many other sources provide that kind of information charts if you're going to fly an airplane. Yeah, and uh, and again, the author talks a bit about how to get, get out of your backyard, so to speak, yep. 
you know, practice locally first. And then once you decide, okay, I'm going to uh, take this a little farther. I'm ready to move th on now. Then you need to do a flight right. plan, exactly. essentially. Yeah. So um, can you look at the maintenance dirty dozen? Yes. Well, this one does not list all the dirty dozen. They're mm -hmm. easy to find. But uh, we, we took a different approach to this one. Um, there, these are the, uh, the 12 common causes, aviation workplace in the maintenance realm. And uh, there, are, you can see a couple of the examples here on the slide, but you, you can get into the article to read it all. It's, it's, it's a little mini quiz to see how many of and the dirty dozen you can identify. Well, it's, it's, it's fun. And it also has direct application to almost all things aviation. Absolutely. Um, we look at distraction, stress, pressures, complacency. I mean, these are all, th these are not only me um, issues for mechanics, yeah, right. but it's also pilot speak. And many safety reports um, might contain those words. If you go through the a ASRS and read some of the reports, sometimes you'll see those words exactly. Well, and that's uh, another reason that we were just talking about using checklists and using checklists to make sure. sure. I, somebody taught me early in my flying career um, to always to remember interruptions always distract. And that if you have been interrupted when you're going through a checklist, whether it's a flow or however mm -hmm. you're using the checklist, you should always go back to the beginning and start over or Absolutely. at least that section because you, you can't say, oh, yeah, I think I did that. Did I do that? Because maybe you didn't. That's right. Um, our next one is um, Snow is Glistening. And this is a nice article about um, dry snow, wet snow, icing, and consequences. And of course, uh, I've got a pirate for you right now. It's wet snowing. Snow. It's wet snow outside right now. Yeah, it's that heavy wet snow. And it goes into the myth of, well, you, people are taught, right. well, if it's, if it's snow, it's already frozen. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. Don't That's what I was it. told. But uh, well, first of all, I, I didn't. Snow is not something I really wanted to go play in anyway, much less fly in. So, however, this is um, this piece really gets into the fact that the NTSB safety alert has come out talking about mm -hmm. snowfall and particularly wet snow liquid particles and all the things that it can do. Uh, freeze on contact, um, all sorts of hazards. And so these are the things that you can do to mitigate it. That even uh, a as it says here, a, a cloud that produces dry snow could also contain super cool liquid, which Certainly. freezes on contact. Certainly. So. And there's a reference in there to always have a, a plan, you know, have an have an out or an escape plan yes. for dealing with really any kind of weather. Don't don't leave yourself with no options. That's aviation one hundred and one. Sure, um, this is a ten thousand hour, and it, you you referred to Malcolm Gladwell. He's one of your favorite authors. Oh and, yeah, and mine right. as well. Um, but what's the ten thousand um, hours about? Well, one of his books really struck me. Uh, he talks about outliers, all the people who are just supposedly so gifted. Um, and he really, he, he gets into, he actually talks about the Beatles. They were not an overnight success, no. for example. They had <laughs> played hours and hours and hours in all sorts of back rooms. And I was thinking about this in terms of writing. Um, I know I've spent at least 10,000 hours writing by now. But when it comes to 10,000 hours of flying, or anyway, 10,000 hours it seems to be kind of the place where you really get good at something. And when I do the math on that in terms of flying, especially if I mm -hmm. have to pay other bills and I can only fly on weekends, 
it's kind of like, oh boy, you know, how can, how 10,000 hours might not be a realistic um, logbook goal for me. However, there are other things that you can do. Well, and the message there though is, you know, proficiency demands that type of involvement and continuous. Yes. Um, I remember reading his book, he talked about um, if you're a skilled uh, computer programmer, you've probably been programming for more than 10,000 hours mm -hmm. or a piano player or whatever you are. And and pilots for sure. I mean, that does seem to be kind of a number that inspires some confidence. However, there's always more to learn and always more to do. So I wonder if that's where 10,000 steps came from. I'm always really, <laughs> I care about that. But but uh, this is a qual one of the things that exactly. the points that I really wanted to make here is that if you can't get that quantity and that even if you do, quality is what counts. Making sure that every single hour that you're flying on every, not even just every hour, but every every period of time that you spend flying, that it counts for something. Be thoughtful for about sure. it. You know, use the SOPs. Do something to try to make yourself better. Even if you can't be perfect, you can make it better than last time. And you, you mentioned um, you had um, information from a, a colleague of yours uh, from the airlines. Um, I think the story was they had interviewed this individual who had 8,000 hours, but pretty much did everything he could to avoid controlled airspace. Yeah. And so that, so, that was, there were some limitations yeah. there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is all about um getting together in a club and i know you've had some personal experience of being in a club i, I never have but it, oh, this it's is fun it's clear that you need to approach this like a, a, a business well and this fit nicely into our challenge and response theme because this is um you know the this is flying clubs can be a response to the hey i need to fly i'd like to own mm -hmm. an airplane but i kind of can't do it by myself but there are challenges involved in being part of a flying club this uh, piece was contributed by somebody who's on the FAST team, and he tells the story of the flying club that he was involved in and some of the um, criteria that they established and the, the ways that you can bring avid aviators together, as his title put it, but to, to do it in a way that makes sense for everybody. And I think these rules are really good. You've got a financial officer. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got roles for everybody. You've got the, the bylaws. My club certainly had that. I have a little sidebar at the end. Um, what, one of the things that I learned early on uh, in the club that I was in in Virginia, I was there for 25 years, we always tried to select owners and we made a real distinction there. Sometimes if people, they, they were coming in, they thought it was mm -hmm. for cheap flying and they just, they had a renter mentality we didn't want them. We wanted people who felt like they owned the airplane and they took care of it the way that owners take sure. care of it. And then the second piece that, that we kind of came up with is that when we were interviewing people to come into the club, we wanted to make sure that we had common purposes because as uh, one of the things that we learned sometimes from having disparate membership is that if you have people who just want to fly locally, they may not be interested in the kinds of investments that sure. people who want to make long trips would. So a lot to keep in mind, but I think this is a, an article that brings together some really great tips for being part of one or starting one or running one. Well, and the author goes on to say that when you have a, a, a club like this, there's a social aspect that reaches, Absolutely. that goes beyond the airplane. Yeah. And it's a way of 
um, just sharing common experiences, sure. flying experiences, hangar talks, some camaraderie. Um, so finding people that you can connect with um, both around the airplane and outside of the airplane is important as well. Well, I have to say too, uh, financially it was great because you pay dues and you pay flying costs per hour, but um, it, when annual time came along and repair time came along, it sure was nice to have people to split the bills with. Sure, sure. But of course you have to have those discussions about how, you do, it. how we, how we do this, sure. Um, the Rotocraft Collective, of course that's a play on, yeah, I on thought this was fun. Yeah, it was gonna, a nice yeah. article about right. what they're doing. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed the, the word play as well, uh, even though I'm, I'm not a helicopter pilot, at least not until I win the lottery. But uh, but yeah, I, the, the Rotocraft Collective is a group that is putting together safety videos on Rotocraft. And they're trying to keep them, they, they put the first one together recently, um, the importance of thorough pre-flight passenger briefings, um, the things that you need to brief Rotocraft passengers mm -hmm. about, um, they've got all sorts of plans for future videos and, and the whole idea is to keep these short, tight, focused, um, really solid. And, and I think they're doing it right because with, well, webinars, social media, um, everything being virtual, um, there's a competition for time. Absolutely. And if you can deliver a, a short, insightful um, piece about one or maybe two topics, um, it's going to be a winner because people don't need to invest a great deal of time and they'll get the facts and look forward to getting the next fact. Well, attention spans are short in the days of uh, character counts and everything else, but I, I don't know about you. I've certainly noticed with myself that if I click to a web page and it takes longer than a couple of seconds to load, I'm already thinking, wait, what's <laughs> taking so long here? So. So I, I think uh, short and tight is what everybody's trying to move toward, including us. Well, and even the, just in literature and brochures and ads, um, I, in a, f a few lives ago, I was a VP in marketing and was always having debates about whether the copy was too long, it was too short. And um, somebody said to me, well, there's probably no such thing is copy that's too long or too short just too boring <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's about right so yeah don't be boring that's it um this, this is always a good one the faa faces yeah we twisted brad's arm i've known brad uh, palmer uh he is manager of the faa's general aviation and commercial division i've known him since he started with the faa a few years ago and uh brad's uh, as you'll see in from reading the article but also from just the points on here Brad has had a very diverse career already. He started off um, an instructor, check pilot 141, flew private business, did some airline training. Then he came to the FAA and in the FAA, he's done a lot of different things, but he's focused primarily on general aviation. And uh, a couple of years ago, he got pulled out to work on UAS integration pilot program. Mm -hmm and also uh, pilot records database, um, a variety of different things. And he, he always, when I would see him, I said, so Brad, you, when are you coming back to GA? And he's like, oh, that's my favorite job. That's what I really <laughs> want to be doing. And so I think he's quite happy to be back as the manager of the GA and commercial division. And uh, he oversees the branch that produces this magazine oh, as great. well as um, Fast Team Outreach. And 
really a little bit of everything because when you talk about GA and commercial operations, it's pretty much everything that's not airline, air carrier. Sure. It's a lot of stuff. Well, one of the things I noticed when we get to FAA faces, so many people have such a broad depth of experience, both in aviation as well as within the FAA. Um, so they're able to make contributions in a variety of ways because they've had so much experience um, in various departments and various offices. Well, and one of the things that we always try to point out with doing FAA faces, and you see Brad there with these kids in an airplane, mm -hmm is we want to introduce people in the FAA as human beings, but especially as human beings who love aviation and are passionate about aviation safety. None of us would be where we are if we didn't care. Sure. Um, so we we all care, and Brad's certainly one of the more enthusiastic ones. I, I didn't realize his kids were that big, actually. Now I'm starting to feel old, but there they are. Well, and it's also just a reminder of we're, the aviation world's a small world. It is. You know, it's it's fun to fun to meet people across all spectrums. So, the condition inspection um, from uh, this author is about uh, substance abuse, and of course, it's um, it's part of aviation. Um, but she or the individual goes on to discuss not just alcohol, but also um, prescription drugs. Um, opioids, of course, are in the news, stimulants, um, illegal drugs. And more importantly is a program that's talked about quite heavily in here is, is the HIMSS program. Yeah, Human Intervention Motivation Study Program. Um, this is a very structured program that targets commercial pilots and helps them get back into flying after. And this, this is this fit into our challenge and response theme, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but but we wanted to highlight it too, simply because at this very very stressful time in everybody's lives, that's right. Um, it depression and substance abuse, and you know when you're home and maybe not getting out very much it could be easy to fall into places that you shouldn't be. And we wanted to stress that there's help, there's hope. Um, you just have to say that you have a problem and do something about it. Well, and it's a, it's a, it, it's, it can be a job saver. Yes. It can be a lifesaver. Um, That's and, the important part. And it's, um, th there are other programs and many, many companies have um, employee assistance programs, mm -hmm. EAP programs to to get people in the right direction. The HIMSS program though is, is as you said, it's, it's often sponsored by pilot associations in cooperation with the airlines. And it is the gold standard mm -hmm. for programs. Um, the measure of success in that is that there's um, a 15% or less relapse rate, mm -hmm. which is very significant. And it shows how successful the program is. I think it might've been three or four years ago, um, the HIMSS program was actually featured on one of the morning news programs. Yeah, I think it and, was. Um, a great amount of effort was gone, went into discussing how successful the program is. So it is an issue, there is help. And as you say, there is hope. And um, if you need information, uh, you can go online or talk to an AME. Absolutely. Yeah, very good. Um, 
as we get close to the end here, the top is covered in ATIS, um, just a, a few roundups of things here, aircraft disinfection procedures, the null report. Yeah, the null report's now near time. Uh, there's some cargo safety, um, some information on the NTSB database search function. So all sorts of good stuff here, just little quick blurbs. This is the part where we actually do have the aviation news that we used to use yes. the whole magazine <laughs> name for. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And uh, feedback. Um, I, I know you get feedback in several forms, and some of it gets reprinted. Actually, yeah, it used to be that we'd get old-fashioned letters, um, and I think we probably still have an address for that. But mm -hmm. nowadays, uh, we get mail, email, um, and there's the email address there. We also get uh, feedback through social media, and we take anything and everything. We're always happy to hear from people. Well, and it's always good to see the feedback, to, to hear the responses, and most of them are positive, and some of them are offering up some, some oh, yeah, ideas. Oh, yeah, we're always glad to have ideas. For and, improvement, uh, absolutely. especially on topics. So it's very good. Um, lots of ways to get it. Well, um, yep, there's the print version. Um, you can subscribe to that through um, the government printing office. And... I have gifted subscriptions to several people, uh, friends of mine who actually would like to have a paper copy. Uh, you can download for free um, from the mm -hmm. from the in PDF version, but there are also some mobile friendly links to others. And then we have social media. We we put a lot of our content out through Medium, which is the FA's blog, and uh, Facebook, Twitter. Lots of different ways to get pieces of content if you don't want to see the whole thing. Well, and your colleague Paul Cianciola does a continuing outstanding job with that. He's uh, he's really um, great and is our social media lead, outreach lead. So sometimes when you put up a um, slide about the next issue, I have a hard time imagining what the topic will be. That was the idea. That's usually <laughs> the idea. This this I think has something to do with. Um, surface operations, maybe runway safety. Yeah, it's, um, although I, I want to say that it's broader than runway safety. One of the things that we, we, we kind of got started getting into this and realizing that there are so many ways, not just when you're on the ground and turning onto the wrong place, but lining up with the wrong surface, you know, landing uh, and I, who who hasn't done that at some point? So I we're going to be looking, sure. yeah, we're going to be looking at surface safety. Well, and, and it's it's a huge um, safety benefit because airports can be complex. Taxiway signage can sometimes be confusing. Um, and sometimes pilots are in a rush and they just need to take their time to figure out where they are on the airport. But with some of the georeferencing tools and things like that, it should be a bit easier. We'll get into that. But we'll, but we'll look forward to it. Um, as we wrap up, just a reminder, this is a good place to get um, wings and AMT credit. Uh, link to the print copy to archived. If you want to go back and do, take some of the courses that if you've missed one of our episodes, you can do that too. Very good. So Susan, once again, it's been fun doing this with you. We'll look forward to the next time. And for everybody out there, stay safe. Let's stay safe. Happy New Year. Take care.